You know, many people believe that, that uh, Ephesians wasn't just written to the church in Ephesus. It's, it definitely was addressed to them, but uh, many scholars believe that it was a letter written to the wider church in the, the cities and the provinces in the area around Ephesus and that it was a letter that was circulated. It's one of the... Some scholars call it the queen of the epistles. And uh, the reason they do that is Paul is not addressing problems in the church in this letter. Corinthian letters, he's just addressing one problem after another. Uh, you know, in some of his other letters, he's writing to address issues and division and strife and trouble and uh, wolves coming in in sheep's clothing and so on. But the epistle to the Ephesian church is just simply a presentation of the power of the gospel, what it means to you and I, what Christ has done in our life and what he has purchased for us on the cross, that the epistle to the Ephesians is the, the epitome of the gospel. And in chapter 1, Paul says these interesting words in verse 15, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and in your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. He said, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray, Paul said, that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. You know, the Bible is more than just a book. The Bible is a message from the heart of God to every man and every woman who ever drew breath. It's a love letter, if you like, from heaven to earth. And it, it contains what I believe to be the only reliable source of information that we have about God and His will for our life. The Bible is, is, is key to understanding some of the greatest questions that we have ever asked in life from one generation to the next. It addresses questions like, who am I? Who, who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? The Bible, I believe, gives us answers to those questions with great clarity. It sheds light on human nature it sheds light on world problems and global suffering. And it's a record of the fall of man from his relationship with God. It's a record of, of the destructive power of sin, the results of, of living a life separate from God, of doing life as it seems right in our own eyes, of doing life according to, to our thoughts, our aspirations, our, our values, our principles, our belief system, rather than aligning our belief system with, with God's, it, 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 it reveals the destructive power of living life separate from God. And it also reveals the divine plan for your redemption and mine. 
And more than a book, more than a message, more than a source of information about God, the Bible itself actually claims to be the relevant living Word of God to the world today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. You know, I've been around long enough to know that there are a lot of people who go to church regularly who only ever see the Bible as a source of comfort. They only ever see the Bible as, as a source of, of receiving that, that sense of well-being, that if I'm down, then the Bible will lift me up. If I'm discouraged, the Bible will fill me with courage. If I'm, I'm despondent, the Bible will give me some kind of motivation to get up and keep going. The Bible will make me feel better about myself, but the Bible is far more than that. I, I read on Twitter this week a, a tweet put out by David McCracken, and, and it, it so challenged me. He said, the Holy Spirit is given for the sole purpose of empowering us for service. The moment it becomes self-indulgent, you cease to be empowered by it. And I think in the church today, there are many of us who have simply seen the Holy Spirit as the comforter. And that he definitely is. But I believe he comes as the comforter to comfort those who are perhaps wounded in battle. To comfort those who have become discouraged by pushing through and pushing through. And, and at times don't see the breakthroughs that the kingdom of God has called them to achieve. And the Holy Spirit comes to comfort us. But I think we've wrapped ourselves in cotton wool so often where we, we, you know, we, we kind of, oh, well, I didn't have a good day today. I need the Holy Spirit to comfort me. Well, people were unkind to me today. I need the Holy Spirit to comfort me. I, I didn't get what I wanted today. I need the Holy Spirit to comfort me. And it becomes self-indulgent. And the Bible in many ways has become self-indulgent where when we're down and discouraged, we just go to the Psalms. I just got to find something to make me feel better about myself. But the Bible is far more than just a source of comfort. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it's inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Everybody likes comfort, but nobody likes correction. You see, the Bible is there to correct me. It's to adjust me. It's to realign my life from the, the miscued direction it was on and bring it back into alignment with the purposes of God for my life. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God doesn't use it just to bring comfort. He uses it to equip us, to prepare us for service. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit, not just to make us feel better about ourselves. I need to get to church again so I can go to an altar call and be prayed for again. No, he wants to empower us to actually serve kingdom purpose. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. It never came from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. This is the Bible speaking about itself. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. So the Bible is more than just a book. You know, for the intellectually closed mind, 
We might ask, what do you base such a bold statement upon that the Bible is the Word of God? The Bible is the inerrant Word of God, the infallible Word of God, and it's relevant for today. Well, you see, the Bible contains 66 books. And uh, in those 66 books or letters that were written by 40 different authors over a period of 15 or 1600 years, when you bring those together, people writing from various generations, from various backgrounds, from various experiences in life, you bring those uh, books together, they reveal a common theme. And that common theme, of course, is God's miraculous theme uh, expressing a common singular message, and that is the redemption of mankind from the destructive power of sin. The authors that wrote those 66 books come from a whole gamut of backgrounds, from kings and princes to poets and philosophers, from uh, you know millionaire entrepreneurs right through to common working class people. And yet when they all came together, there is a common singular thought in there and it's designed by Almighty God. It's an amazing book. I remember when I first got saved, hearing of a group of of scientific minds getting together to to challenge the authenticity of the Bible. By the time their study was over, they were all saved. The Bible is an amazing book. Better scholars than I have, have rattled off the numerous prophetic declarations that the Bible has made over the centuries and that are recorded in the pages of the Bible that have remarkably been accurately fulfilled in this day and age. You see, the Bible is an amazing book, but probably the most convincing argument of all that the Bible is the Word of God is its ability to change lives. For centuries, people who have applied its principles have experienced a changed life. Something happens when the Bible is applied to our life. Something happens in the miraculous, in the heavenlies, in the atmosphere around our life. When the Bible is taken and believed and applied, something changes in the soul of mankind. Because the Bible works. The Word works. When it's taken and applied, this this book, the Bible, is worth knowing and it's worth believing. It changes the direction of our life. It changes the very fabric of our soul. As a Christian, knowing and believing what this book says about you is the key to breakthrough. Knowing and believing what the Bible says about you is the key to success. Knowing and believing what the Bible says about you in this life and how to live this life is the key to fruitfulness. It's the key to shaking off the chains of bondage, the oppressive things that the world uh, is battling with more and more. As, as each new generation rises, there is another gamut of problems that comes. The Bible is the key to getting through all that. And the Bible, you know, reveals to us the plans and purposes of God for our life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says an amazing thing. He says, no eye has seen. No ear is heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We have not yet begun to imagine what God has for our life. We've not yet begun to understand the depth, the width, the height, the the breadth of everything that God has for our life and the plans and the purposes to increase us, to enlarge us, to bless us, to grow us, to expand our faith and to enlarge our capacity for life. We've not yet begun to comprehend it. But Paul says, you know, we have not yet begun to see what God has prepared for those who love us. And in many ways, the epistle to the Ephesian church is the fulfillment of that word. It's the fulfillment of that scripture in 1 Corinthians 2.9. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. 
which you would have talked a little bit about this week in your connect group. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has what blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation, I have been chosen by God. You have been chosen by God. You know, this is a mind-blowing truth that the Bible speaks out into our life, but yet not many of us truly believe it. God chose me before the foundation of the world. God knew me before the foundation of the world. God, God had a plan and a purpose mapped out for my life and chose me to be his son, chose me to be a part of that plan, handpicked me. His eyes scanned eternity and he found me, a young man who would be born in the back blocks of Cahiba, who would just go to a basic primary school, a basic high school, who would start off being a boilermaker and then he just, he found me and chose me. He had a plan and purpose for my life. He chose me. It took me a long time to actually believe that God thought that much of me that he chose me. When I was in school, I never got chosen for anything. You know, sport afternoon was horrendous for me because nobody wanted me on their team. When it comes to soccer, I've got two left feet, haven't I, Sam? I'm useless. You know, I, I remember one of the first games of soccer I ever played when I was 11 years of age. I kicked the goalpost instead of the ball and smashed up my foot. You know, I, was, I hardly got chosen for anything. I got knocked knees. I'm just, I'm just a, a basic, common breed of man. But God chose me. He chose me. He found me. He sought me out. There was something in me that he was drawn to. That he, there was something in you that he's drawn to that he loves. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons. I believe in the doctrine of predestination, but not the way some people believe it. You see, there is, a, I think it's Calvinism. I don't know. Help me out here, Neil. Is it Calvinism? Uh, that, that believes that if you're predestined to be saved, you'll get saved whether you like it or not. You'll have no choice in the matter. Circumstances will just happen in your life and you will find yourself at an altar call, giving your life to Jesus. You, you, you know, No matter what you try and do to avoid it, you'll find yourself at that point, some point in your life, because you're predestined to be saved. And there are others that aren't predestined to be saved. And no matter how much they try and get saved, even if they hear the gospel, they'll never get saved because they're not predestined to be saved. I think that's the biggest load of crock ever to be sold in the church. But I believe in the doctrine of predestination. I believe that God has predestined me to be his son. God has predestined you to be his child. God has predestined us. He has a predestined plan for our life. But whether I experience it is entirely up to me. Because he's given us a free will. He's given us a choice. And he, he wants us to make that choice because it's what we want in our life, not what he wants to impose upon us. Many are called, but few are chosen. That used to always mess with my head, that scripture. I think, well, why would you call them and then not choose them? That seems so unfair. You, you, I'm called. Why don't you choose me? And I think the reason few are chosen is because those that are called won't do what's required to get into the place where they can actually be chosen. Yeah. So he wants us to cooperate with him. He wants us to move with him. But he predestined me to the adoption as a son. You know, I, I, I've spoken to a lot of people who were adopted. And, and adoption, and I, I may touch on this in just a moment, but, but adoption is one of the, uh, one of the major causes of a, a rejection syndrome in a person's life because they feel rejected. But when you think about adoption, you were actually chosen. Like I wasn't adopted. 
My mum and dad are stuck with me whether they like it or not. <laughs> but if I am put up for adoption, somebody chose me. Somebody said, I want them. And that's what God has done for us. And God has chosen me and he sought me out and he's, he's worked alongside of me trying to get me to a place where I'll, I'll get a revelation of his love and his kindness and his goodness. And I will then be adopted into his family when I make the choice. I want to adopt you, but do you want to be adopted? In other words, you know, so he chose us and adopted us and, and uh, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted. In the beloved, in him we have redemption through his blood. You know, as a born again Christian, I am as, I am as accepted by God. I am accepted by God. It took me a long time to believe that, but I know it and I believe it today. I am accepted by God. Warts and all, bald head and all, knock knees and all, can't play soccer and all. He still accepted me for who I am and for what he believes I can bring to the table. When Paul wrote to the Roman church, he said, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. So we are accepted. The Greek word translated there as accepted is the Greek word proslambolo, which means to take to oneself, to, to admit to a circle of friendship or hospitality. God's included me in his circle of friends. God wants me. He loves me. You know, and it's not because of anything I have done to cause him to want me. It's not anything I have done to cause him to like me. It's not anything I have. Look, I've done a lot of things that would cause him to not like me. But he wants me and likes me simply because he does passionately want me and like me. There's no reason behind it. There's no sense behind it. He made me. He created me before he formed me in my mother's womb. He wants me to be a part, regardless of what. This world has dumped on me regardless of the foolish choices that I've made in the journey of my life, regardless of the roads I've turned down. God still wants me. He has accepted me and received me and has given me admission into his circle of friends. You know, I love Romans 5. This, I don't think I gave you this one, Ben, but you know, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us. Paul says, no one is likely to die for a good person. I, I reckon I'd find it hard to die for someone. You know, I, I, w I would. I think I'd find it hard to die for someone. And Paul says that. He said, no one is likely to die for a good person. Although he does say, you might find the odd individual who would be prepared to die for someone who is exceptionally good. There are breeds like that on this planet. I don't think I'm one of them. No one is likely to die for a good person, but you might find one in a million that would just do that. But yet God loved us so much and so passionately wanted us in his family, so passionately wanted us to be a part of his journey, a part of his life, to walk with us, to commune with us, to spend time with us. You know, you've heard the old saying, I love you, but I don't like you. Well, God's not even like that. He likes you and he wants to be with you. He created your unique personality. My, my wife said to me the other day, I said something to her. She said, you know, your personality. She said, I love it, but that sometimes I hate it too. <laughs> I said, well, that's who I am. She meant it with a real sense of love and affection. 
But he found me and he, he sought me out. And, you know, God showed his great love for me in that while I was still rebelling against him, while I was still living life separate to him, while I was still making choices that were hurting other people, while I was still making choices that, that did, you know, just spat in the face of the values of God, he still loved me. He still wanted me. He still sought me out. He still came looking for that which was lost, which was me. I was lost and he found me and he brought about circumstances in my life where he said, I'm offering you a relationship with me. I'm offering you salvation. I'm offering you intimacy with heaven. And with that, I'm offering the power of heaven that can enable you to live life fruitfully and successfully. Do you want it? I predestined it for you, but do you want it? I planned it and I purposed it for you. It's, it's part of the book that's written about your life in heaven. But we can actually close the chapter of that book at this point if you don't want it. It's up to you. Do you want it? And I chose it. I chose it. I'm accepted by God in my mess, in my brokenness, and in the godless state in which he found me. His purpose, however, is to now lift me out of that mess. His purpose is now to lift me out of that brokenness, to now lift me out of that place of, of self-destruction, that place of selfishness, that place of, of living life according to my own thoughts, desires, plans, values, principles and patterns. His desire is to lift me out. You know, we don't, we don't try to rise to the new life that Jesus purchased for us. More effort. We let him lift us to the new life that he has for more Jesus. One of my favorite Psalms when I first got saved was Psalm 40, verse 1 through 3, where it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. He lifted me out of the mud and the mire. He lifted me. God lifted me. I didn't have to climb out. I couldn't climb out. I was, I was desperate and in need of a saviour who would actually lift me out. And that's what he does. He comes now and lifts us. He raises us. He, you know, he has seated us in heavenly places with Christ. We haven't climbed into those heavenly places. He found me just where I was. He died for me while I was still spitting in his face. He then invited me into his family and then... In his family, he then lives. I haven't done a thing. I have not done a single thing to get where I am today except just let him lift me to that place of a sense of belonging, that place of a sense of connection, that place of a sense of being a part of something bigger than myself. I waited patiently and he lifted me. He set my feet on solid ground. He steadied me as I walked along. He's given me a new song to sing. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. You know, are people looking at us and amazed? How did you get from there to there? I remember you when you were there. You were broken. You were messed up. You, you were a nutter. How did you get from there to there? What, what did you do? What self-help course did you take? What book did you read? What, what uh, course did you Did you go off to rehab and get sorted out? Is it, you know, what rehab was it? Because I don't know anybody that's ever come out of a rehab that's got a spring in their step like you've got. You know, how did you get from there to there? He lifted me. He lifted me. Why did he lift me? Because he, he likes me. He likes me. He likes you. 
You know, some of you sitting here struggle with that. Oh, I don't think many, many people like me. Let me tell you, he likes you. You know, we don't have to do things so that God will someday accept us. We are accepted by God completely as we are. Our actions and our service for him should be in response to that, not to try and earn that, but in response to that. You know, there was a, a message that went down in history. I, I can't remember who preached it, but it was titled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I don't believe we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. Once Jesus comes into our life, I am a saint, securely cradled in the palm of a loving God. That, that's, that's who I am today. He's not angry with me. I am chosen. I am accepted. I belong to the family. Why is it so many of us struggle with that truth? I believe it's largely due to the cultural conditioning of our mind. It's largely due to the environment we grow up in, and it's fed and it's capitalized upon by the enemy of our soul. Paul said the, the devil, Satan, the god of this evil world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe that they might not see the light of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. The devil has blinded the minds, the eyes, the spiritual eyes of those who do not believe. Now, some of you are sitting here and say, oh, well, we're talking about those out in the world, those that don't know Jesus. No, no, no. no. He's talking about those who don't believe. The devil has blinded the eyes of those or the minds of those who don't believe. Now, that certainly does include those who are outside the kingdom, those who have never responded to the gospel message, those who are unsaved, if you like. But it also talks to a lot of people in the church because the church is filled with unbelieving believers, people who don't believe the truth of the Word of God. He's blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. I believe he works more in the church than he does out in the world. Because he's trying to block us from experiencing the fullness of the blessings that we have been blessed with in the heavenly places in Christ. If we believe the Bible is the word of God, then we need to start believing what it says. And it says that I am accepted, whether I can get my head around that or not. It says that I'm chosen, whether I can understand that or not. The reason I believe so many people come to have trouble coming to terms with the truth that they are completely accepted by God not only into his kingdom, but into his family circle, into his home, is because many of us feel unacceptable. Many of us feel unacceptable. Being, feeling unacceptable is a frame of mind that has been built well into the fabric of our soul. From the moment we were born, the devil did not waste any time implanting seeds of thought into your mind that you are not worthy, that you are not good enough. He engineers circumstances and situations where you don't get chosen for things or you get overlooked for stuff or you're not in the inner circle of the cool people. You're not a part of the trend. You, you kind of always feel like you're on the outer. All of those things, all of those experiences leave you feeling un. Acceptable. I remember many years ago, we had a young lady in our church here. Uh, her name was Rebecca, and she had anorexia, uh, anorexia nervosa, I think it's called, an eating disorder, and she was as frail as anyone I have ever seen. 
And her, her situation was so bad, a current affair actually ran a story on her. It was many, many years ago. And I remember Margot sitting with her and she was suicidal. And Margot looked her in the eye and said, Rebecca, so many people would miss you. And she said, who would miss me? You see, that's a reflection of what has been culturally embedded in our minds by life, by the experiences of life, by, by the God of this world who has blinded our eyes, our mind from seeing God loves me. God chose me. God came looking for me. If I was the only person on the planet, he would have come and died for me. Uh, you know, there was a time I didn't even believe that. But then I read the story of the demoniac in the, in the tombs where Jesus said to his disciples, let's get in the boat, cross to the other side of the lake. They go across to the other side of the lake. They encounter the demoniac. And Jesus, remember the story, totally delivers him from the demons that are oppressing his life and, and leaves him fully clothed and in his right mind. And then we read this amazing little verse that says, let's get back in the boat and go back to the other side. He crossed the lake with his disciples for one person. One person who was a reject, who was a degenerate, who was a hobo, who was a nobody, who, who had been an outcast in society. Jesus just knew, I've got to find this man because he needs me. And I chose him before the foundation of the world. And I'm looking for him and I'm going to find him. And he said, I think I know where he is. The Holy Spirit just spoke to me. And he said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. You're here today because he found you the same way. He found you in some way. It was not a mistake that I walked the stairs of a, of a coffee shop run by a Christian family in this church uh, nearly 40 years ago. Be 40 years ago in November this year, I climbed the stairs and I didn't know what I was walking into. But little did I know that I climbed the stairs into a change in my life that completely, completely changed the direction for the rest of my life. God engineered that. And I went in every Thursday, every Friday, every Saturday night. I'd climb those stairs. There was something there that was drawing me. I tell you what it was. It was the Holy Spirit saying, I found you. I've been looking for you and I found you and I brought you to this place. I'm now going to start a process in your life that's going to lead you into the church, the church that I died for, the church that I said I would build and the gates of hell will not prevail against. I've got a purpose to bring you into that church. And then three, four months later, I used, to, I used to criticize the church. I used to go to scripture in high school just to rip off the minister who was teaching the lesson. I was his worst offender. I would heckle him from the back. I would say, God speaks to you, does he? Uh, uh, well, yes, he does. And it was terrible what I used to say to him. So what's he sound like? Is he a Yank? Is he an Aussie? What is he? You know, it was It was terrible. You know, and, and yet God found me. And, and, and I remember I had a mate at school who, who all through school wanted to be a minister. Did I give him hell? You want to you be a what? A minister, you know, with a black robe and you wander around the gardens of the church. And, go, you know, and he used to get upset with me because I used to rip him off about it. I said, God has the last laugh. I run into people now. What do you do? Oh, please don't ask. I don't, I don't want to tell you. You remember back at school, you know, like, I, want, I want to tell them I'm a hitman or something, you know, but it's like, you know, oh, I'm a minister. You're a minister. You... Doesn't matter what I do, God found me. He came looking for me. He found me and he planted my feet upon a rock 
and he put a new song in my mouth, you know, but rejection can hinder us from stepping into the fullness of everything God has for us. I read a book many years ago, not long before I got saved. I read it. It was written by a Catholic priest. He was a Jesuit priest. And the title of the book was, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? And the subtitle of the book was this, Because if I tell you who I am and you don't like who I am, where does that leave me? Because I'm all I've got. So we don't want people to know our fears. We don't want people to know our weaknesses. We don't want to open up our heart and tell them our struggles, our shortcomings, our challenges, our pitfalls. We don't want them to know we wrestle with that or we fight with that or, or that's a temptation over there. We've got to put on this facade so people will accept me. Now you're already accepted by heaven, which is all that matters. I've been rejected by a lot of people over the years, but God still wants me. That, that's what counts. He still wants me. There are very few people who are not affected to some degree by direction, uh, by rejection. By the time they are adults, we live in a broken world filled with broken people who both experience and inflict rejection. You know, there's a lot of things that bring rejection. Adoption, abandonment, marriage breakdown, unfaithfulness in marriage. Abuse, betrayal. You know, these times of these types of situations and others like them leave a person feeling very unwanted, unlovable, and unlikable, un- unacceptable. The reason we feel unaccepted is because we feel unacceptable. The reason we struggle with belonging is because we feel like we don't belong. But let me tell you this, it's based on a lie. The Bible is the only reliable source of information we have about God. It reveals God's will for our life. And we've got to start believing the truth of its pages. The pages says, I belong. I might feel like I don't belong, but that feeling is a lie. It's not the truth. Genesis chapter 37. Joseph's brothers sold Joseph into slavery... Luke preached on this just recently. It was a great message. He's a great preacher. He probably did a better job than I'm about to do on this, but they dipped his coat of many colors in goat's blood, made out that it was his blood, and then took the coat of the favorite son of their father, Jacob, took it to Jacob to make out that Joseph was dead. They very sheepishly, not knowing how he would react, but having a fair idea it wouldn't be good, crept into the lounge room where Joseph's puffing on his pipe, that Jacob's puffing on his pipe, got his slippers on by the fire. And they come into the room and one of them says, Father, with something to tell you, Story of our time, a tragic but inspiring tale of manhood in its prime. There's one more angel in heaven, there's one more star in the sky. Joseph, we're 
It's terrible, isn't it? There's the song. You stole my thunder. <laughs> you will never escape the problem of rejection. While ever you are alive on this planet, even Jesus had a problem with rejection. You know, let me say this. The whole purpose of that story with Jacob and Joseph was that from that moment, Jacob lived a devastated life. He was absolutely crushed by the news of his son's death. He saw the cloak. He saw the blood. The evidence that his son was dead. The other sons tried to comfort him, but the Bible tells us in Genesis 37 that he refused to be comforted. He said, I will go to my grave in grief. His life was a mess, but it was a mess based on a lie. He was, he was mourning something that wasn't even true. Joseph was well and truly alive. But Jacob's life was completely affected by the death of his son, which wasn't true. How is that so much like us? That is so much like us. We believe stuff that just isn't true. And the evidence, the coat with the blood, the rejection that we've faced, the experiences that we've had all prove that I am unwanted, that I am unlovable, that I am undesirable in life. No, it doesn't prove anything. When heaven accepts you, that's all that matters. If God be for me, who can be against me? God loves me. God accepts me. I'm a part of that. But you, you will always have a problem with rejection. Whatever you walk this planet, Jesus had a problem with rejection. He was despised and rejected by men. But the difference with Jesus he had a problem with rejection, but he didn't have a problem with rejection having him. Rejection did not have him. You'll have a problem with rejection. It'll always be there, but you don't have to let rejection have the problem with you. Does that make sense? Jesus had a problem with rejection, but he lived free from the problem having him. John 8.32 was how he did it. He said, if you live by my word, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. In John 8.31 and 32, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, abide, that word abide means live. Someone says to you, it's an old word. If someone says to you, where do you abide? You'd give them your residential address. It's where you sleep. It's where you eat. It's where you recuperate. It's your, it's your address. It's where you live. So he said, if you live in my word and my word lives in you, you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So we've got to get the word off the pages of the book and into our heart. We've got to get the word out of the intellectual thoughts in our mind and get them into the recesses of our soul so that our soul begins to believe what our head is struggling with. So you can quote scripture, but it doesn't mean you believe it. You can quote scripture, but it doesn't mean it's changing your life. You can quote scripture, but it doesn't mean it's become the living word that penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit and that brings change that comes from inside of us that then changes the way we outwork life. That's how we overcome rejection. So accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Blessed be the God and Father, Ephesians 1, 3 to 7, 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons. I am special. And so are you. We're all special. We're all here because God has chosen us. He's got a plan and a purpose for our life. We need to find that plan and that purpose and we need to chase hard after it. See the Holy Spirit as the enabler for service. Don't become self-indulgent. I love that tweet. He said, you know, the Holy Spirit has been given to empower us for service. The moment it becomes self-indulgent, we cease to be empowered by it. It's the same with the Bible. It's been given to us to bring adjustment and correction to our life. The moment we just use it for a place of comfort, a place of making me feel better about myself, you lose the power of the word changing your life. I am not a sinner in the hands of an angry God. I am a saint who sometimes sins on the journey of my walk with Jesus transforming me and changing me into the image of himself that I might become the man he has ultimately called me to become because he's chosen me and called me. If our band can come back. I'm excited about this series of studies. You know, I hope however it was presented or received last Wednesday night in your group, I hope that it's inspired you, got you motivated to open your heart and receive more out of the whole journey as, uh, as we together as a church. Just study what it is, who we are in Christ. Why are we here? What are we, what are we born for? Where are we going? What's our ultimate purpose in this thing called life? We are created for more. We are made for more. We are destined for more. Amen? Come on, let's stand together.